Real quick before we get started. If you're listening to this podcast, I have to assume that you're interested in all things related to street dance culture. In that spirit, I have to give a shout out to Q and the rest of the fine people on the Good Foot Podcast. From personal interviews to foundations of history to wide discussions about topics facing the culture, the Good Foot does its part to educate and entertain. Be sure to give them a like and listen after you finish following us, of course. With that said, on with the show. I'm not quite sure what freedom is, but I know damn well what it ain't. How have we gotten so silly, I wonder? Asada Shakur. Do you consider yourself free? If so, how did you find liberation? If not, what stands in your way? As you contemplate the question, let me invite you to sit back, pour yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. I'm Rob Celtic, and this is Drinking and Dance at the End of the World. at the end of the world. I'm joined today by an honored guest, a friend of mine from back in my college days. He's a dancer, DJ, and activist from Chicago who now resides in Hong Kong with his two beautiful children and their mother. He represents the crew's motion disorders from the U.S. as well as Rhythm Attack in Hong Kong. He's the co-founder and co-director of the Break in the Law International Festival of Movement for 11 years has a beautiful singing voice, and is both a black history fact as well as a dance fact in general, which is really the same thing, seeing as pretty much all popular dances in this day and age come from black folks. Please welcome the Huey P. Newton of Hong Kong, Jarius <laughs> King, a.k.a. B-Boy Man of God. Yeah. <laughs> That's a hell of an introduction. Um, wow. I do what a I Man, a lot of that is accurate. Um, uh, well, I guess, man, I don't know if I would call myself an activist, but I guess I am kind of. I'm very vocal about issues. I guess I don't know. Uh, I got to think yeah. about that. It's I. I would just I would use that word to describe you, but I mean, I think it's it's subjective. You know, that is yeah. I, I mean, in the dance world, I get yeah. You're right because I do workshops, I do teachings, I do stuff like that. so. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll take it. That's the responsibility I need to shoulder. <laughs> there we go, man. So uh, what are you drinking today? Okay, I'm drinking uh, three things. One is uh, some leftover water that I have. Uh, room temperature. Oh, you know what? I'm going, I'm going yeah, uh, room temperature. And then we have some uh, hot lemon water from McDonald's. Yay, healthy. And, <laughs> and then I also have, because it is 10 something a.m. over here, uh, a can, a tall can, uh, 500 milliliters of Stella Artois. Oh, ho, ho. Nice. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, uh, I, on the other hand, am uh, drinking. Hold on. Oh, okay. That. <laughs> That is a white claw. Are you familiar? Oh, oh my God. 
Yo, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am basic. <laughs> you went from Huey P. Newton introduction to bro drink of the year of the century. Hey, what can I say, man? It's cheap and it's um, it's cheap. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, let's uh, let's get down to brass tacks. So my first question, um, well, your style. Uh, is one of the most distinctive I've ever seen from a breaker. More so than most B-boys I've met, you seem to have always spoken with your own voice. Can you comment on how that voice developed and who inspired you? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so in, in terms of just me being in the dance community, especially in, in breaking, which is so multicultural per se, um, especially even like racially, um, uh, I've always found myself being like the only black dude like around in certain uh, scenarios like when I was coming up so when I was going to practice sessions or uh, even in my first crew that I joined floor physics like I was always the only black person and I noticed that um, and just the things that I would have to deal with man um, you know of course with, with folks saying like the word nigga and all that stuff like that and I'd be like uncomfortable and I'd be like what like okay I know y'all like Puerto Rican, you know, not most of them would be like Afro, like Latino or Afro Puerto Rican. And I was just like, yo, like I had to like always check folks. And um, that came from my background as a kid growing up. My family was uh, between like my, you know, my nuclear family, my parents, and also uh, my mother's side of the family, very much so about uh, black pride, you know, like, um, growing up, you know, celebrating Kwanzaa, learning Black history. Um, mm -hmm. I went to a, a, a school, a private school in Chicago on the west side called Providence St. Mel, um, which is, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's like the only Black, uh, it's like kindergarten to high school. It's like a only Black high school, uh, private high school in Chicago. And they very much instilled um, a, a lot of uh, practices and like ceremonies and just like a ethos, I guess, of black pride. Um, so I always grew up around that. My father, when I was younger, around like the age of eight or nine, or I think around the time of like the Million Man March in like 95, like before that, he was studying with the Nation of Islam for a while. So I grew up studying with the Nation of Islam, which for folks who don't know is a a uh, sect of, is like a black nationalist uh, sect of, of Islam. So I just grew up um, with blackness, like all around, just like being proud of who you are, um, who, who who we are, you know, also like during the days, uh, you know, they call me man of God, but as of recently, I don't identify as Christian anymore. Um, I still hold a lot of those same, those same beliefs and values. Um, but even growing up in a Christian background, like never believed that Jesus or the one we refer to as Jesus was white, like none of that. Like, so mm. my, my, my background as a child in terms of, uh, I guess like a pride, self pride, knowing like my, my history, like I have a very rooted history in terms of knowing who I am as a black person in this world. Um, and being a someone of African descent. So yeah, that's where that my, my militants and my, like, outspokenness uh comes from comes from my background but also early even early on or like midway through my teenage years like 15 and up dealing with being like the only black person in a room whereas all my life I was also used to up until that point usually around all black people if not majority so 
So that uh, reinforced just your sense of self? Yeah, for, sh- for sure. And, you know, also just uh, pr- pride, especially in breaking where the narrative is always, um, they try to do what I call light washing or they try to uh, perpetuate erasure narratives of, oh, everybody created breaking and blah, blah, blah. I was like, no. Cult, you know, even though there are also Afro-Latinos involved, they weren't day one. Black folks are day one. Everybody else is day two. And I've, man, I, I've caught, you know, caught so much flack over the years with just, you know, stating that. And uh, well, I was about to say, like, you and I have had many, many discussions about the intersection of dance and race over the years. But mm-hmm. one of the most fundamental points that you seem to always receive pushback on is the origins of breaking. Mm-hmm. So why why do you believe it is that so many dancers have such a hard time accepting that black people created all of these amazing art forms that we enjoy? Um, I think part of it was, and this is just me speculating because you know um, I wasn't around it in in that era or in, uh, or those eras that compri- comprise breaking, but. Um, one reason there is pushback is because out of all these cultural, you know, dance and music forms that were birthed in the, in the USA, which have become popular world, uh, you know, dances and popular world, I guess, like cultures, subcultures, whatever, whatever you may call them. Um, breaking is the only one where non black people. And when I say black folks i mean even like not not just racially but also like ethnically culturally like black folks from the usa that's the only one where any other group has some kind of foothold or a role with within like the early days um and so one is just like they're like folks claim the fame and proximity to the the birth of the dance um but also uh, anti-blackness is global and when you're dealing with different cultures that come together, even, uh, you know, especially like quote unquote Latin uh, culture um, is, it's very anti-black and not, not just from uh, anti like African, like dark skin perspective, but also even culturally, a lot of folks who are Latinos, even, even like, you know, the, the elders in the dance uh, who were pioneers uh, who came after the first generation of breakers, they're more than likely uh, first generation born in the U.S. or um, first generation to come to the U.S. and um, you get that even with the Caribbean community and there's a, a, a ethnic, I guess, uh, backlash against Black folks because one thing that people do when they immigrate is they try to they they try to assimilate to the dominant culture, the dominant narrative. Who's bad? Who's not? You know, you add in colorism. Um, that they already have from their own culture. And it's just like people at the bottom is black folks. So um, there's just like a lot of pushbacks just because people want to stay relevant um, and line their own pockets. There's also a, a general, you know, oh, those black folks from the USA, they ain't no good kind of feeling, or I guess like a, yeah, like a sentiment that, mm. that run, runs deep for multiple reasons. And um, so, yeah, not, not to trail off too far, but, I mean, by all means, uh, Jarius, this is your time, man. <laughs> okay, word. We can go as far in the weeds as you want to. Bet. I'm with it. Hmm. 
but yeah, that, I think that's it. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Oh no, no, I was saying I think that's um, that's it. Just uh, with folks being immigrants or being raised by immigrants, you know, they're still finding their way. They still have whatever rate racial uh or cultural bias towards Black Americans that they get from their elders and their and their culture that's already inherent with them being immigrants, and then also just them being in the states and whatnot and learning like Amer- the American brand of racism, you know. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a very distinct flavor. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it's still, you know, I, out of everyone that I've met and everybody that I still associate with in the, in the the dance world and the b boy uh, world in particular, like you seem to get the most flack um, for simply just doing your due diligence as a historian and a yeah. representative of the culture and it's it's crazy because i initially when i started breaking you know something kind of told me like it made sense like why like it would be a black creative dance but i didn't always believe that i started when i started dancing dancing you know i was of the school of thought, uh, oh, yo, it was Blacks and Latinos that created this together. This is like a universal, it's for everybody, blah, 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 which um, is true. You know, this the the dance and the culture, really, I don't, I don't, I don't even call it like, in terms of breaking or hip hop, I don't think hip hop is a culture. Hip hop is not a culture. Um, it's a subculture. It's an extension of, <laughs> of Black culture. They just packaged it and marketed it so they could tour the world. Like literally that was their, their main reason of course it helped unify folks and whatnot but um i I get a lot of um pushback but it's crazy because i I was of the school of thought of the opposite of what i'm doing now um but it's kind of like you know what at the end of the day i don't care it's just like uh it's it's ironic because i started breaking i learned from people who are not black like nobody who was black taught me how to break (laughs) i learned from all um uh, like non non Afro non Black Latinos growing up, <laughs> um, you know, and, and a lot of the narratives and stuff that when I was coming, you know, the the figureheads and people that I was seeing, you know, of course, like you know, got you Crazy Legs, Rock Steady Crew, you know, stuff like that. Um, even like your L.A. Breakers. Um, I learned how to dance from this cat, uh, Will Willpower from Air Force Crew from Los Angeles, mm-hmm. um, and um. I don't know what his like nationality is or his ethnic background, but he's a non-black Latino. And, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up with these images and a lot of the history and the documentaries that we see start with like Rocksteady Crews, like the Crazy Legs and a lot of uh, Ken Swift's and a lot of, a lot of other folks. Um, and you're only two, only two black breakers. I can remember being in any documentaries and films and stuff, uh, are uh little crazy legs and then of course frosty freeze rest in peace um Mm. but what people don't tell you is by that point those folks who when breaking got the big media boom and when it looked the way it did by that point those folks are like second generation breakers so who's the first generation then you then i started to find out about all these black folks and all the like the, the original uh zulu you know mighty zulu kings and uh, or the Zulu Kings and everything. And I'm just like, yo, like, oh, it makes sense. And it's just like, okay, oh, this is what I found. And it, and it adds up. 
no other ethnic group or racial group in the U.S. has create has a, a lineage and track record of creation like Black Americans do. It's just the proof is in the pudding. I tell folks that, like, you know, even even musically, you know, Cool Herc, being a Jamaican immigrant, you know, he fought to lose his Jamaican accent when he would try to play reggae. Uh, you know, at the parties, folks around the way was like, what are you doing? We don't want to hear that. You know, so he had to play what the brothers and sisters around the way was rocking. So, you know, he's the the godfather of hip hop. But it's just like, yo, Kuhert took on a black American identity. You know, mm-hmm. people try to, you know, like uh, present black Americans as this like this monolith and this bland monolith until we're seasoned by uh, other black folks from other regions, you know, so the Caribbean, they, that always get thrown up in there. And it's just like, yeah, sound system culture was very unique to Jamaica and they brought that, but that's not what defines the whole thing. People got speakers all around the damn world, you know? So it's just like, Cool Herc got known for the merry-go-round and extending the break, but then the structure of that music and the music he was playing was based off of black American music, even if it was rock and what else. What, who who created rock and roll? Like, the proof is in the pudding. So I, I, I put my foot down, like, and I get a lot of flack because a lot of breakers spin on their heads. So I think, like, when I run into dancers, I've I, I found that breakers overwhelmingly, and this is just from my personal experience and from talking to folks that I know who are also breakers and other dancers, breakers are the least, like, eloquent when it comes to words and backing up arguments. Um, Absolutely can confirm. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, you, you and I met in college, uh, and that yeah. I was never a breaker myself, but I hung out with the uh, um, breaking crews, and good dudes, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Socially and, speaking, it was yeah. always, it was always a, a challenge sometimes, like having discussions. Yo, and and, and it's crazy because I kind of like when I speak up about these issues, I don't my motivation. Like I've, I've for sure had people distance themselves from me uh, in, in, in my city from, you know, in Chicago. And I found out like right before I moved, like all these people who were like just so wary of me and talking crap about me to new folks who were coming in. And I'm just like, where does it come from? And it just came from me being a black person and being vocal about my culture and people who base a lot of their sense of identity of whether, you know, they're first generation immigrant or, you know, like example, like Filipino cats that I know, you know, like, or other folks who have gotten their entire like personal, like identity and their journey of self-discovery through these dances, they feel like, uh, like like when black folks say like we created this, like we're calling like we're, we're saying like, yeah, we own it. And it's just like I never said that. I'm just saying like literally like it's, it's a black cultural creation. Can we can we move on about our day? That's all it is. Um, but people feel threatened. And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, how culturally their peoples have operated historically. Um, and it's very much like I have this identity and it is fully me. Versus where a black identity, we we don't have a in, in speaking like in the USA, we don't have the the I guess the illusion of luxury to say that you know what I'm I'm Latin I'm closer 
to this European, um, you know what I'm saying? I'm closer to this European identity. You know, folks say they Latino and I get, I'll get flack, I get flack for this, but I was like, y'all say you're Latino, but in, in actuality, most of your culture is indigenous and African. So yeah, you've been affected by your European colonialism, Latin, but that's the identity you choose to side with. And, and you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. So in terms of the pushback, it's kind of like, we don't hold and we don't, and part of it's just our condition. It's not that black folks are inherently better. It's just that we didn't have the, the racial classifications to be like, I'm closer to white. We had one drop rule. <laughs> so it was just like, if we find out you got one drop of black blood in you, you black, you know? So <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we didn't have the, the different classifications of like mestizaje or trigueño or da, 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 da. Um, and then also even for folks from the Caribbean, it's just like, we didn't uh, grow up with this, I guess like, we, we didn't grow up with like, oh, I'm coming from this place that isn't the U.S. So they had a different sense of of self and being from smaller communities where mostly everybody looked like them, African immigrants, you know, coming from countries where even if it was corrupt, at least they had a face of theirs that like, I'm used to a black president. You know what I'm saying? Like we we grew up with a, a different reality. So our culture really our cultural art forms have always spoken to the um, human, I guess, condition. Like that's why like black dance forms from the USA specifically um, are so mesmerizing because they, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't identify with the country generally that we come from. Like you don't, up until Obama was president, I had never said I was American. And, um, and even when I did start saying that, it's because I started traveling the world and I had I just had to let them know like, oh, what my passport was, you know, or for the sake of conversation. But we don't oh. identify with our national flag per, per se um, in terms of uh, racial condition. We're not aspiring to be closer to white. You know what I'm saying? So it's just that we and we're the only group of folks from the USA who did not immigrate there. Every other group of folks, you know, whether refugees or, you know, trying to escape war or immigrating for better economic opportunity, whatever, they still came there by choice. You know, mm. choice is relative because it's like, oh, stay in your country and die or leave. It's like, okay, you know, that's not really a choice per se, but it still is versus I'm not, we're not, we're the only group of folks who aren't immigrants and we're, we don't have an indigenous claim to the land. Um, or, uh, whether I mean regarding choice, and I, I'd say, like for example, my ancestors came of their own volition. Yeah, exactly. You know, they left Ireland because of hardship, but at the same time, like they still left under their own volition. Exactly. So we're, we're the only group of folks who aren't immigrants, and we don't have this indigenous claim to the land. And then our the whole country is based on our persecution like the foundation of our country is based largely especially economically is based on our persecution and, and uh historically you know so yeah like we our our, our art form we don't have tribal ties we, we, you know like none of that stuff per se like we just black 
And if you even look at the, the laws of physics, physics also studies color. Is uh, they, color is involved in the study of physics, and it's just like what what in terms of black and white, what does white do? White pushes away all the other colors. Colors. What does black do? It absorbs. It accepts. So even just on a scientific level, the concept of blackness, like we're so open, and that's why everybody is drawn to us because it's just like you know what? Don't start none. Won't be none. We just here trying to be free in these art forms in our dances and even like musically we we got the drum taken away from us versus brothers and sisters around the diaspora or diaspora i forget how to pronounce it um that's why our music don't sound like no no other group of black people on this earth that's Mm. why we had a boom bap sound you know like with 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 hip-hop that's why uh musically you know and you know our, our condition was different than folks too in terms of who conquered us too we got stuck with the english you know, m- m- <laughs> for the most part, um, mine is like Louisiana with the French, you know, but yeah. 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 So musically, we, we, we just, we have a very unique identity that is just, if you really break it down, it's just raw and human. And we're, we're, ser- we're se- searching for our own humanity because we didn't have the, the distractions of being closer to something or, you know, whether it be closer to Africa or closer to this European identity um in the hopes that you know we can escape our persecution it's just like nah we black and this is what it is and we're we're crying out for our humanity historically with our music and, and our culture and our dance forms so i know that was really long and drawn out you're gonna have to edit edit that bro bro uh no i mean i do minimal editing if at oh, all word if they're still listening to me after four episodes then um they they, <laughs> they know back so you <laughs> okay. all signed up for this all right you all up for this <laughs> word but uh speaking as a guest of the culture um and who's just extremely grateful to be here um one of the things i've noticed or a, a motif or an idea that that has been repeated to me time and again um from ogs to uh young guns is the idea in in blackness that it, it there seems to be like a big um stressor of making something from nothing or making something from being dealt a raw deal you know mm-hmm. um, so you, you t- uh, the a common example is uh, soul food you know being given the the parts of uh, the the animal that that you know the white uh, slave owners didn't want and then mm-hmm. turning it into cuisine yep you know so I which leads me back to what I was kind of mentioning in my first question to you uh, regarding your style. It's extremely distinctive. Um, Mm. You don't dance like anyone else I've seen in your world. Um, Mm. So I wonder, I guess this is a two part question. Like is, was your style developed in that same mentality? And Mm. what is it about your own style that like, what do you love most about the way you dance? Okay. Um, so I, I would say in terms of, I guess, the way I move, one, one, one part of it, uh, uh, one part is physical and one part, I guess, is just like, uh, not physical. I, <laughs> um, I don't even try to put a word to it. Um, You're doing great. <laughs> uh, phys- physically, when I was uh, in the year 2000, I was 15 and um, I start like for like a year, I was having like problems with my ribs and like, like, uh, I had pain in, in, my, in my ribs and like my body. And it came, I came to find out uh, I had severe scoliosis and I also had a 
condition where my rib cage was shifting. So I had to have a corrective surgery. So, you know, they, they, they cut me open, uh, cut my whole back open pretty much. Uh, like literally like straightened it out. I, like I grew like two inches automatic when they did the surgery. Um, mm. And uh, I have a bone graft, which basically is like a bone from a dead person uh, that they screened and tested and made sure it was cool. And they use that as a cast, essentially. Uh, they scraped out the disc, uh, like in my, my upper and middle back. Um, and then uh, straightened it out, put the bone graft, or however they, I don't know the order, but basically, yeah, straightened me out, put a, a skeleton cast on my back and then attached mount metal rods uh, with brackets to my spine to hold it in place uh, until like the the bone graft had time to settle in and, and you know become like a, a natural cast over the years. Um, I got it, so, and that uh, that sounds like hell, bro. It it it, it hurt. It 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 sucked. That um, I still remember the pain from when they had to, they had to turn me over like every few hours. Um, Ooh. I was uh on morphine. They had to take me off because I was hallucinating. Because <laughs> I was I'm pressing. You being visited by the uh, ghost of the person whose bone well, was in your back. I, now you know I was on a roller coaster, and I tried to. It was like this. I was trying to get out, which is like the worst thing you could do when it's dropping fast. I was trying to get off the roller coaster as it was moving, but oh, I was pressing. I was pressing the hell out that morphine button because I was in so much pain. So they had to like take me off of morphine. Uh, that whole summer, I couldn't. I was like laid up on the couch. Um, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even like. At the time when The Simpsons was actually really funny, um, ooh, yes, <laughs> man, I, I, oh man, that that hit me where I live. Sorry, man. <laughs> oh God, I miss it when it was funny. Yeah, I think that's when uh, Conan O'Brien was still writing for them. Um, Yo, like, thank you. I, th- I, I thought I was like the only person who remembered he used to write for that show. Yeah, nah, nah, that's when it was funny as hell. I think, I think he was still writing. It was like the year two thousand. Um, if it was still funny, he had to have been writing for it. Yeah, but I, I couldn't watch it. I could not watch The Simpsons because my 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 body could not take the my muscles crunching in from the laughter. So I, I couldn't like watch anything that like make me happy. <laughs> I couldn't. Oh, I was just, like stuck, bro. Um, so physically, in terms of breaking, when I first started dancing, you know, a lot of folks when they get into breaking they just really take it to the floor and do all these spins and try to learn all those complicated moves i was physically uh unable to do so and risk like really damaging myself um so for my first like year and a half to whatever or, or not like the first like three years or something of me breaking i didn't i couldn't try really high level like I, I, I moves that required a like super amount of physicality per se um so I, I learned some basics. So you had to focus on style instead of power. Yes. Yeah. And so physically I had to, my focus would have to be more on the up top, like dancing parts, even though I was learning like, you know, bases of footwork and, and like uh, turtles and crabs, you know, and you no, know, like basic freezes. Um, I was limited for, uh, for sure. Physically for like the first year, year and a half. Um, but then also, uh, even before I really took the, like, I guess like, a a a very historically accurate stance, uh, being vocal about the history and breaking what people would say as black militant, which is really, I'm just telling the history of how it is. Um, 
in Chicago specifically, in breaking, there was a a, a, a Brickheads, which was like a, one of my biggest influences actually. Um, and I started breaking. Uh, some of them cats like showed me the basics. Um, they were like the top dog crew in Chicago, and everybody was trying to beat them. So, and they had crazy like blow ups, which are like very what we call blow ups, which is like dynamic moves. And the thing in Chicago is like, you know what? If you were dancing, you wouldn't get no love. And when I first started coming into the scene, there were more black breakers, but over the years, like they just kind of like, um, I noticed they weren't around as much. And <clears throat> uh, I noticed too, like when when you dance, even with with folks who were my peers and my my first crew, they were like, oh no, I like that dancing stuff. It's like whatever. Like you need to do moves. And it was just like, yo, but this is a dance and. You know, like a lot of the music we were dancing to was stuff that I grew up hearing, like my parents play. So this was like stuff that was familiar to me. So I was used to, oh, when you hear this music, you dance. And mm. like, I felt it was something very anti-Black that I felt just in my spirit. It was just like, yo, like this like disrespectful to my culture that they hating on people actually dancing. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to... I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to practice power or blow up moves. I'm going to have a blow up style. So when I would top rock and I would dance, I would just like go, go off, like, and just do my best to, to bring that, like that, a strong presence um, in terms of how I move. So physically I wasn't able to do everything that a lot of other folks would do, uh, were doing or would normally try when you first start breaking. So my foundation physically is different, but then also, just in terms of my school of thought, my motivation was different. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to show y'all how black folks get down. And that, and that, and that yeah, that was the, I guess the, the basis behind it all. Um, a lot of it too. It's oh, funny not- too. Uh, it's funny too that um, you, you have these dudes like giving you shit for dancing. And those are probably the same guys that like, if they had to dance with a girl would like, look like they're trying to battle her. Yeah, exactly. And and I, can't, like... I, I, I can't make fun of them too bad because being a white guy myself, I didn't have that foundation when I was coming up. So if the mm-hmm. first few years you catch me like dancing on a dance floor with a girl and she would look mad uncomfortable. <laughs> I did not. I did. I did not understand. I did not understand. Yeah, and I, I grew up, uh, you know, Chicago Jew culture. We grew up juking. So you go to the park, dry humping, essentially. Uh, <laughs> For all y'all um, who know, juking yeah. is not the same as Chicago footwork. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yo, man, like, just, <laughs> oh, God, you took me with that to be back. But yeah, like, I was getting getting flat, bro. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to dance like y'all. I'm going to show, show y'all what to do. And um, also, just in terms of how I was brought up, you know, like, and you know, cause you, you know, uh, I mean, I've built with footworkers over the years after like much later and I've been, I've been dancing almost 20 years now. So I would say like probably like 16 years into me dancing is when I started to like actually connect a little bit more with footworkers. And it's crazy cause I got reintroduced to the dance per se through my homie, uh, um, uh, Jetnam, uh, who was in, in a group that I was part of called Awesome Style Connection. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, oh, what is Jet? Is like, I think like Mexican and like Ecuadorian or something like that. Um, and 
he uh, he's gonna kill me I, I, he ain't no damn ecuadorian i forget but that's my homie that's my bro uh but he started going around to uh like footwork events and he started just like building with like the footwork community and Muzz was kind of tweaking when he was coming around. He was like, yo, look at that white boy getting down. He's like, yo, he's not white, man. Like, But I started kicking it with him because I'm like, you going where? Oh, over off 87? Oh, shoot. That's by my pop's crib. Yeah, I'll, I'll meet you over there. Like, you know, and I started going to stuff. So, and then I started connecting with the footwork hats more. But in terms of like an actual footwork, some person who taught me footwork uh, was you. <laughs> Right. Yo, I can't. I I still remember when you came to Los Angeles while I was still living and training there. You and I hadn't seen each other for a few years, and this yeah. the last time we'd seen each other was before I ever started footworking. So uh, I remember I came to meet you at this this um this speakeasy bar or club somewhere um in in uh, near Hollywood, and. Uh, there was music playing like you you were a few drinks in by the time I already got there uh, and, like we went out into the circle and I just started like getting down like footworking and I just hear you screaming at the top of your lungs like you can footwork ah! <laughs> and I'm like oh yeah it's 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 been a minute since we yeah. connected yeah man I mean that one just like it was such a and, and of course, you study under Charles and and him. Um, you For know, those so. who don't know, uh, he's speaking about my mentor, King Charles, and yes. uh, our crew, Creation Global. Go yes. on. Yeah. Um. So, like, at that point, I think you came in kind of like, I think towards the height, or maybe like right at the the very last, the very last peak of when they were like really teaching like especially like in Europe because you know they tour you know him uh King Charles I think it was a J J Ron Kimo I think they were or was it all of them they were touring with Madonna I forget who did it oh uh, that that tour was the sticky sweet tour uh 2007 I believe that was King Charles and Prince J Ron there we and go they were, okay. the first, uh, they were the first to really travel the world and and teach like that exactly so up until that point even in Chicago it was you never see nothing. You you wouldn't see nobody but black people footworking, and um, that's why when I, I saw you doing it, one is just like people are footworking outside of Chicago. Two is just like, yo, this white dude is like, yo, what? Like, what are you doing? How do you? You know, I had no clue that, and so uh, that was just like a, a mind blowing to me, and I was like so caught off guard. But it was just like, yo, you doing the dance of my city, you know? So. Um, and, I, and I brought I brought up footwork because growing up, like uh, I, in terms of like my my idea of dancing, like I grew up around footwork. Like I could never do it per se. Like when I first started breaking, it was like I couldn't do regular dancing, what we call top rocks, like up top, like breakers, and I couldn't footwork all like uh, at all really. But what I could when I, when I started breaking it was like I found a happy medium between the two. Some it, it just physically it clicked, and I was like, oh. Um, so when I move, uh, yeah, it's 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 different in 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 that sense. But yeah, um, I forgot why I brought up footwork and I brought why I brought up all of that. That's why I t told you I I trail off a lot. I try not to talk too much because I wonder. It's all right, man. It's all right. So um, uh. 
let's see. You and I have actually both represented dance crews while living in Asia. Me from my time while living in Japan and mm-hmm. you with Rhythm Attack. Mm-hmm. So what kind of challenges did you face in becoming a, a accepted? Because for me, it was like always like, you know, some of my closest friends were in that crew and I love them to this day. But mm-hmm. because of the cultural divide, because my Japanese wasn't as good and their English wasn't as good, I was always treated kind of like, um, kind of like the family pet. <laughs> like I was still in the family, but I was, I was, I was the family pet. Like I wasn't like really, you know, like you mm. all in Japanese culture, at least there's inside and outside. And no matter how close you get, you're always going to be outside. Yeah. Um, for me, I guess, you know, it's really weird because in my life, with which I guess bringing it kind of linking it to like, why do I move differently and whatnot is because like truly like dancing is a reflection of my life and even like my journey. So like growing up in Chicago, um, like especially like uh, there's, there's a thing within the black community in Chicago. It was like black folks on the West side and black folks from the South side. So when you're on the West side and you tell them like you from outside, they're like, Ooh, you live over there. Or, you know, it's kind of like this cross this different sections, like rivalry or whatever, uh, cultural divide between those two areas. But my mother's from the West side, my father's from the uh, South side, specifically like uh, uh, Southeast side. Uh, and so growing up, I was used to, uh, I had lived on the west side for a while, but then we moved. So I was living on the southeast side, but then going to school on the west side. Um, Then when I got older, I got part of my first crew. It was like, I was living on the west side and then they was living all like on the northwest side. I was the only black person. So I, I was always used to being like the outside dude. When I went to college in Madison, I was the only like one, like I was a little bit older than them. So I'm the only one in college in the state of Wisconsin, there in Chicago. Then when I uh, I got down with Rhythm Attack, um, I was already still, I was still living in Madison. So I was used to them being like away and then uh, uh, being separated from them. And then even my crew motion disorders, um, they're from Milwaukee. And then I'm from Chicago and in the breaking world, that's like the rival scene. So it was just like, oh, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I I, I joined, like, the, the rival crew to my city. <laughs> um, so I'm always kind of used to being that outside dude, no matter what, even if it's just uh, around other Black folks, because I was from a different side of the city. Um, mm. uh, and I went to uh, high school uh, in Inglewood in Lindblom, um, and that's on the south side, and I was living back on the west side at that point. So it was just like, I've always been used to being like the odd man out. So it doesn't bother me in terms of acceptance. Um, one thing that did help though, is that I studied Mandarin. And even though they speak Cantonese out here, that was our way of uh, communicating. Um, and I think, you know what? I, I think uh, up until 2015, so I joined the crew 2006, they put me down. I, I was an honorary member in 2005, but then I, they made me official in 2006. I moved here 10 years later, 2015, um, after they made me an honorary member. And uh, through that 10-year journey of being with them in the crew, I know I had traveled to Hong Kong, had done this. It was that kind of thing like, oh, snap, you're here. Like, I was always the guest out of town. But 
I didn't feel that divide that you kind of spoke of or that isolation or that kind of feeling like that, that outsideness until I moved here. And then I got to like, I got swept up in the minutia of like their everyday lives and how life is here. And they got used to seeing me. So it wasn't like this different side of them that would come out, you know, when it's like where either they or I was traveling internationally. So, um, by that you point get, you get to see them as real people yeah home. yeah with all their faults so it was like a lot of stuff that i didn't understand about my crew and like you know really uh here with rhythm attack like they had like these beefs and stuff over the years with each other some of the guys and i was like what is y'all problem i don't get it um but living here now uh understanding cantonese more so i have like a basic hold on the language uh, being around them, seeing how they act in their everyday lives, and then also coming to understand, like, oh, well, yeah, some of these dudes have known each other uh, since they were, like, really small. Like, I, I was I was teaching English for a while, and I taught at a school in their neighborhood. And I'm like, and I messaged them in our little uh, WhatsApp group, and I was like, yo, I'm in y'all neighborhood, like, let's, let's uh, have lunch or something like that. And then nobody could get up, but they were like, uh, and they were like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I taught at this school. And they were like, and I taught like kindergartners and they were like, oh snap, I went there for kindergarten. And they went and chat like, who else went there? And then other people started chiming in like, oh, I used to go there too, da, da, da. And I'm like, oh my God, these dudes have known each other since they were like five years old or, or like four or five years old. And you add in time, ego, money, and women, and <laughs> it's bound to get like kind of crazy. So yeah, yeah, we are um, dancers. No matter what culture or wherever you are in the world, like there are some themes that repeat. <laughs> we are not that original. We are not. We're human, bro. Uh, so it's it, it's um yeah no I was just always used to being the outsider up until I moved here. But now it's, it's just different because, you know, I think even even though I was um always kind of like the odd man out, I still was surrounded. I still had like a cultural uh, grounding or a cultural support system, you know, or my family wasn't too far, far away, you know, so I could always link up and kick it with other black folks or uh, folks who under understood me, you know, or who, who, who got it versus here is just like, nah, <laughs> language wise, uh, not all the way there. Um, culturally, very, very extremely different. So um, I've always coped with being the odd man out. Okay. But I think it's been more difficult um, now that I'm living here. And then also I can't, I moved to Hong Kong when my crew was on its last leg. So like our, our rhythm attack, uh, they're like a legendary crew here. Um, which, uh, when I said I was a black history fact, that that's one reason is because it's, it's because I'm part of rhythm attack. I'm the first, uh, black American to be part of a, a breaking crew, like, a uh, uh, from like Hong Kong, you know, from China per se, greater China, but from Hong Kong. Um, but when I got here, like the crew was on his last leg and, you know, I, they were looking at me to like kind of mend things because I had like a different approach because they don't talk about their problems. That's one thing that's very, uh, very common in uh, Chinese culture. And just to be culturally sensitive, when I say Chinese, I mean like ethnically uh, and overall culturally, but uh, them being from Hong Kong, 
uh, Hong Kong folks do not like being called Chinese, word, word to the world. Um, but they don't talk about their problems. And so some of them were looking at me to be like, well, yo, you're the one who kind of like tells it how it is and you, you can get away with it because you're a foreigner. But it was just like, I got burned out and I was just like, yeah, bro, like, nah, y'all go have to, <laughs> I'm good. I'm not, I'm not doing it. This, this, this is your business, not mine. I'm just, yeah. just the- I try like, I, one of my, uh, and there's people who are like in our crew who used to break like years ago, but they're all still friends. And, you know, we, I got, I got hit in the face trying to break up a fight. Cause I ain't know, I, I ain't know these dudes in my crew hated, literally hated each other. <laughs> I'm just like, Yo, y'all chill, like boom. I got they he trying to punch the other dude. My guy hit me in the eye. Now I gotta go home <laughs> and explain to the mother of my children why my eyes black and I and I gotta wake up for daddy duty in the morning. I gotta hold my kid with a black eye. And I'm just like, bro, like I went off on them. I was like, y'all keeping this bullshit up and I, I gotta go home with it. I can't even look at my kid right. Like, come on, man. Like, so. Speaking, uh, speaking of family, speaking of your kids, and speaking of that uh, that clash between cultures, um, you have you are now the father of uh, two wonderful children, as I mentioned in the intro. Yeah, um, I've had the pleasure of meeting your son. Your your baby girl just came uh, into the world, so I yeah. haven't had that honor yet of meeting her. But um, they're both being raised at that intersection of you know uh, being black from their father and China. Uh, Hmm. Hong Kong, technically yeah. Chinese from their mother. Yeah, uh, I've seen videos of you uh, breaking down tribe called Quest lyrics uh, with your son, and you mentioned that <laughs> he's also taking uh, kung fu. Um, yeah. from a black man. Yes. Yes. Uh, excellent. Um, so, I guess uh, all this is leading to. Um. Like what what are the most important things that you want to teach your children and what kind of legacy do you hope to leave for them? Mm, um, <clears throat> well, of course, one, one thing I want to instill in my children is a sense of pride, um, personal pride. Uh, so, you know, even my, my son, like when I when I raise him, you know, I don't want him to be intimidated by anybody. So when I when I discipline him and I get on him and I talk to him and, you know, he wants to look away, I say, son, look at me when I talk to you, you know, like, you know, I, I make sure to like come down to his eye level and look at him. Cause I don't want to be like this towering menace of a father when I have to get, get on him. But I want him when he grow up, when people try to talk down to him or try to check him or whatever, it's just like, yo, like, you don't, you don't scare me. My, I had to look my daddy in the face all the time when he was pissed. Like, you know, I want, I want them to have that sense of, personal like uh i guess like grit and pride to be like you know what this is who i am in the world you know i always re- uh, affirm with my children that you know what you uh i do affirmations with my son here and there you know you know you're wonderful you're awesome like i want them to just know like you know what i'm somebody uh in the world and uh also in a sense of cultural pride and just really being able to affect people in a humane way i want them to know like you know what this is your cultural identity this is the background of your parents this is where you come from um but you know i just want them to be some some beautiful i just want them to be some beautiful humans and for them to affect change in others you know because 
I think that's that's one gift that I've noticed that is uh from from my family, from my parents, uh, and my brother and sister and, and me, my brothers and sisters and me, um, is that when people around us, like we 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 change people and it is it could be for the better if we're in our right, you know, right state of mind, you know, whatever, whatever. But we we have a, a power, I've noticed my family to change people for the better. And I that's the kind of the legacy that I want for my children to leave behind for, for my children. It's just like, you know what, this is who you are. This is where you come from. You can do anything you want to do in this world. Um, but also just like, yo, like you need, I want them to be healers of people. Um, yeah. I, I want my, I want my children to be some powerful healer, healers of people. And God knows that uh, the world could use more healers right now. Yo, this is what we need, man. Like, spread love like that's the the that is the ultimate weapon you know and you you know like and i don't mean love in that cheesy like self-sacrificial way but Uh, you're not raising martyrs no yeah i ain't raising no i ain't raising no martyrs i'm not raising no suckers neither like i you know uh you know and 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 uh, yeah, I just man, cause it's it's a complicated thing for me, especially for them growing up here, uh, in Hong Kong. With- I was gonna say too, like you and your family have consecutively witnessed both the Hong Kong riots as well as the initial outbreak of COVID nineteen because of your proximity <laughs> to the mainland. So, I mean, throughout all of these volatile events you guys made the decision to stay in hong kong like what keeps y'all rooted there um before i go into that i just want to uh cl- i guess uh clarify that um i know, I know we we care you said hong kong riots um i'm of the i'm of the school of thought um that um at least initially uh, there are uh, protests so i know that's actually one of the things where they where were peaceful protests and they, and they had heavy-handed uh police uh response and they kept peacefully protesting and they kept getting beat and so then they escalated the protests to uh in response to police brutality um, you know what absolutely i that was a very poor choice of words on my are you part good? so no 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 it's it's actually it's it's absolutely uh that distinction is very important because i do know that the uh the communist party of china was trying to spin the protesters as uh, hooligans and mm-hmm. and dissident and um, uh, just troublemakers. So yeah, uh, yeah, that was a poor choice of words. So the y- y'all have witnessed the protests in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, and and you know, uh, of course, like you said, the COVID nineteen situation. Um, what has kept us here? One is just because uh, I fight well up until up until recently. Uh, Cause like I'm, f- I'm straight up like fully unemployed right now. Like it's tough. Uh, a lot of it is because I work in education, uh, uh, alternative education, I should say. So I, I do arts education and as well as uh, like teaching English, like for learning centers and stuff. I don't have a degree in teaching, even though I'm highly experienced um, with the, the virus now, like all that is shut down. And then uh, also as a, I work in hospitality, so as a DJ. And so with the escalating uh, anti-government protests uh, between the protesters 
uh, escalating like the the violence, uh, their their response the, uh, to police brutality, and then with the heavy handed like police tactics with like tear gassing and and everything. You know, one of the biggest things in Hong Kong is tourism. So a lot of tourists uh, stop coming, especially from mainland China, because either fear or government mandates. Uh, and then other foreign tourists were coming less. And so bars and stuff were shutting down. Um, and then at this whole virus thing, so like actually as of two days ago, they did a two-week mandate, a 14-day mandate, like all the bars, places that serve alcohol shut down um, for the next like two weeks. So it's like, I'm out of work like DJ-wise. So, uh, and then I was traveling for gigs and stuff too. And I, I, I also MC events and blah, blah, blah. So all my gigs since like, uh early february been canceled um left and right so like even though uh not making money and stuff right now the healthcare system here is way better than the u.s um and we need that for our children especially our daughter uh because she has a blood condition uh because i have sickle cell trait and her mother has something uh something else so i won't get in details or whatnot um but it combined basically uh in her to have a, a form of sickle cell so, oh, no. yeah, so, uh, I mean, you said what now? Oh, I'm sorry, you said what now? No, sorry, uh, the reception cut out. I just said that's that sucks. That's too bad. I, I have friends that have uh, sickle cell uh, disease, and it's it's just really painful. So, yeah, it's it, it's it's tough. Uh, and our, our daughter's a trooper, and we've been fortunate, like, Basically, the, with her blood condition, it's like she ha- she essentially has sickle beta thalassemia, or uh, I think that's exactly what it's called. I need to go. I always get confused on the phrase. Um, but the 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 traits that me and her mother have cause that condition. But then one of the other traits she got from her mom kind of helps counteract that to a degree. So it's weird. Um, but even though they don't have the knowledge here, because they don't. They, uh, she has a thalassemia, thalassemia traits from her mother. They only know about that because that's like a very Asian thing. They don't know jack shit about sickle cell. So we had to go to the States to get her looked at and they're communicating with them. But healthcare here is better. Um, also, hopefully, hopefully if this stuff subsides sooner than later, um, there's still you no know, economic opportunities for me here. Like I was making good money working part-time uh as a dj like taking like the mother of my children did not have to work um and i, I and china's right across the border so I, I speak mandarin like proficiently so i uh i i teach dancing in china as well as i mc uh uh breaking battles a lot especially some of the the, the biggest ones in, in in the whole country um so that I, I can't go across the border just because uh for safety reasons and all the events are shut down. So just staying you mentioned here. the you mentioned the protests are, are still going on. Has uh, has COVID nineteen oh uh, yeah at all? How's it affected the uh, the drama that was going on before the outbreak? Um, it's definitely put a lull in the protests. Um. Uh, cause one, you know, mass, massive gatherings <laughs> aren't recommended because of how contagious it is. So folks haven't been protesting as much, but they still have been having clashes with the police. And, 
one one thing was uh, the government was going to um, they designated some residential areas with like some some certain housing or with like new housing to to be holding centers for people who uh, needed to be quarantined. And folks were like, hell no, like, we're not letting you do that. It's too close to schools. It's too close to homes. And so they went out to protest. They firebombed like the lobby of, the, of one of the buildings, which was new. Um, Damn. Yeah, because they, they weren't having it. Um, and then also in another place in my neighborhood, actually, where I live, like 15 minutes away from walking from me, they uh, were going to, they're designating like a clinic or some housing for quarantine and folks went to protest and cops showed up, you know, I think, I think they tear gas. They like were really threatening people. So um, folks are still out here. They're still holding vigils for when folks potentially like when folks got like really hurt badly and potentially died um, from like the August 31st uh, attack, uh, police attack on like people in the train station. And they went to do like a vigil and then the police showed up and I think they tear gassed and got into it with folks too. So yeah, stuff is still happening. Um, it's, it's, it's at a much lower, uh, a, a less frequent, but things, things are still happening. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I say this a lot, but I, I have to repeat myself. Stay safe, man. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm a black man in the world. This ain't shit. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, yeah. honestly, you're right. Like, you're right. Like, I mean, and you know, not to say that, like, yeah, I'm going to be out here wilding, but like, you know, uh, and I know this is, uh, you know, you said I can go into the weeds, but basically um, what's interesting about the protest is like black culture uh, and hip hop per se actually uh, had an effect on, on the protest. Um, yeah. How so? Uh, so th- at one point recently, like as of last year, uh, at one point during the the uh, protests or whatever, because they've been going on since like June. Um, and then when the police started like beating people's ass with these like super peaceful protests over the months, this phrase, fuck the popo came up. And I was just like, where is that coming from? Like, you know, in, in Cantonese, popo, like the, depending on how you say the phrase, like popo, that's like your mother's mother. So my son calls his his uh, grandmother that all the time. So he'll call her and say, Popo, like he'll call her. So I'm like, fuck the Popo. And I was like, I know they ain't mad at their grandmas out here. So what's happening? Um, (laughs) 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 Fuck you, granny. Yeah, right. I was just like, wait, that's that's so weird. And it it was sudden. And it, it it was crazy because, and it was this really big, like I was, it was this really annoying ass aha moment for me. Because when I would deal with even people in my crew, and we talk about that culture divide and stuff, um, and even the mother of my children, like uh, mutual friends that we have that are like more, like really friends of hers and stuff like that uh, on Facebook, they will always be like, oh, why, why do you, why does he always talk about like the black people stuff or he talks about it too much? Or even one of my crewmates was like, bro, you don't always have to talk about the black people stuff. Why you do that? And I'm like, bro, you're involved, you break, right? that comes from black culture that comes from our condition of being in the world. And here they had the, the frame of mind that the police are your friend. And I'm just like, yo, they're not. <laughs> and I told them like, you know, I mean, but- it's, it's, it's amazing not to cut you off, but it's, it's always amazes me 
how um, dancers will be the first to say like, or, you know, at least non-black dancers, non-black dancers will be the first to say like, oh, I, I ain't about politics. I don't get involved with politics. Mm-hmm. I keep the politics. I just want to dance. And I'm like, the dance that you do is a political movement. Like how, 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 how do you not discuss politics? How do you not get involved? Because their entry point has always been, oh, this is the cool shit that black people are doing. That's how it, you know what I'm saying? Even you got to think like, you know, like it's not always like super political per se, where even like you got black folks doing these dances and like even just to, to say you're black is a political stance, but it's so ingrained in what we do. Like folks don't even take into account that damn, I'm, you know, this, this came, they don't think about like the past a lot of the time, you know what I'm saying? And the conditions that created dances or cultural movements, but um, yeah, no, folks, their entry point is different. Um, and also their connection to it is when you really break it down, it's just like for a lot of folks, it's like, okay, take away hip hop. What, what, like, how are you connected to, to the, to the, to the culture or to the dance or take away, you know, even if it's not hip hop, if it's popping, whatever. Okay. Remove, remove the dance and the, 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 the music that you dance to how, what, what is your connection? connection to that that movement at that point what is it and for a lot of folks nothing but for me it's just like yo like oh well shit blues jazz funk blah 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 this is from my people is you know like when i break it down i'm connected so so i get why they you know they're they don't think like that but um but it's fun too though like now now that uh the police are cracking their skulls i bet their their tunes have changed Yep, because regarding your political uh, um, uh, activism. Yeah, ex- exactly. My, my 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 crewmate who was like, "Oh, why do you always talk about the black people stuff?" He uh, came back like, and this was like a, a year and a half later uh, since he had said it to me. Uh, but this is like at the height of the protest where it was like really like, "Yo, the police are like fucking up." Um, he was like, "Yo, bro, I'm sorry. I see what you were saying now," and. Um, and that brings me to the point of like, okay, well, this fuck the popo thing. So I was with the mother of my children and with her friends, uh, our son, they were, and, and their children were all playing together. And, and, you know, we knew, they knew some folks um, who had gone out to the protest. And so, uh, you know, I was being shown the markings from like the rubber bullets and other stuff that had hit their bodies and, and where they had bruised. And they were like, oh, fuck the popo. Yeah. And I was just like, and I told them, I was like, yo, like, I've seen it spray painted. I've heard people say it. Like, where is that coming from? Why? Because I told them, I was like, popo, like, we say we say that. That's like a phrase in the U.S. from black folks, like, fuck the police, fuck the popo. That's what it's short for. And they were like, oh, they were like, oh, we heard it in a rap song. And it was this... um, it's a Filipino cat here who's a popper. He goes by the name of JB. I forget what his rap name is, uh, but he uh, made a song because he, he's Filipino here, but you know he grew up here. He speaks fluent Cantonese, and you know traditionally in Hong Kong, Filipinos, uh, you know they've always had like a better command over the English language. Um, so he speaks Cantonese, English, and uh, I, I think Tagalog, and he made a song. I think either the course or the t- name of it was called Fuck the Popo. And that's because he understood 
more U.S. rap music and other stuff like that. So he had brought that and used that terminology in the music, and that became like the slogan for their for their anti police resistance. And I was just like, holy shit! Like it blew my, it blew my mind. That's amazing. Yeah. Um. So we gotta we gotta wrap up, but I want an hour and eight minutes. One, yeah, I know, right? I gotta ask you <laughs> one final question. Um, how do you see our dance community adapting to the pandemic? And do you have any predictions of what the future holds for us on the other side? Ooh. Um. How do I see our dance community adapting to this? Um, can I be honest with you? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I, I really do not care. I mean, once things, I mean, uh, of course, I, I, I think um, it's kind of a good thing per se because I think folks will at least in in this short time span or this short short period of time will come to have an appreciation for the fact that you know what we have events you know and you know competitions and stuff are so commonplace and they become so boring especially in the breaking world like they become so boring and monotonous and it's just like all right like yeah there's some exciting moments in these quote-unquote battles but at the end of the day what are folks really doing this for um so I, i think now that we're without globally um, folks will have a an appreciation for events themselves, but also like what they mean. Oh man, I haven't seen you in forever. Oh man, I haven't been able to travel to this place forever. Um, so that's one thing. An- another thing is folks are like really taking to online because nobody's working. So if folks want to dance, I think a lot of folks who, even like myself included, uh, were so caught up in like the normal hustle and bustle of things where we didn't get to like diversify our hustle and move to like digital platforms, you know? So it it gives folks a chance to, on the business end of things, uh, recalibrate and uh, expand into, I guess, like other directions or other markets or whatever, like digital world. Um, But yeah, at the end of the day, I kind of, I don't, I don't care. I'm glad, you know what? Yeah. There's, there's, um, you know, and even in Hong Kong, right? Like, a lot of dancers, they don't go out to party. And when they do go out to party, that means drinking. They're not hitting up spots to just get down and get loose. Like their their entry point to, to the dances is in studios or for competitions and for stuff that they're watching, like these competitions in Europe or whatever in, on, on YouTube. Um, so it's just like, they're so busy preparing for that and paying money to to fly out to France for an event. But y'all are house dancers. Y'all never thought once to save money to go to Chicago or something like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, now y'all are without. So maybe when we can go out and party again and somebody invites y'all, y'all will come out full force and, and get down. Like, just, you know, release release your soul. Let, let, your, let your soul glow. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I gotta um, say though, that's that's I'm I miss it. I miss it so much. And that that really is it puts everything into perspective, like being stuck in the house, you know? Like yep. me and my girl, I um 
I should say my ex now, uh, we used to go to uh, this spot in Denver called the uh, the Meadowlark. And, mm-hmm. you know, they'd have these DJs that would just play some of the best music ever. And, it, you know, I wasn't around any other professional dancers. It was just oh, me and her and like, we, we would just dance, you know, and I, I, miss, I miss that. I miss like connecting to music in that way with all these people around and like having this communal spirit together. So yep. I really hope like me personally, I hope when we do all get to the other side of this, that like we, we, we remember what's actually important because these, like you said, these, these battles and these jams and this shit that everybody is training for, it gets so boring. Yeah. Like, and for, for what? For what? What exactly. are we doing? Exactly. What is the point? You know? Yep. Like, we could all, this all, this could all be gone tomorrow, which it is now. So, like, <laughs> let's, let's favor it, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, folks are trying to like, do like these online battle formats and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know what? That's cool. You can navigate technology in that way. Um, but folks are going to realize like, damn, man, this don't feel, it don't feel the same. It sucks, you know? So yeah, I just want people to appreciate what they're doing in the cultures that they come from, like the ethos of the dances, like where they stem from. I want folks to have like an appreciation for that. So I'm hoping and expecting that even if a lot, even if it went wanes off in general, it's still going to stick with more folks than it would have in the past. Uh, but otherwise, you know, I, I really don't, you know, I don't give a damn. Like <laughs> I'm, I still, I, 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 I dance with my son at home all the time. My daughter bob her head. She trying to dance now. Like I, I'll, I'll, I'll dance that. Him. So, yeah. All right. Well, with that, um, let's let's uh, raise our glasses and, and everyone at home, if y'all got any drink left, raise your glasses and let's uh, toast to the end of the world. To the end of the world. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, all right. So, uh, B-Boy Man, I got to thank you so much for joining us tonight or today, thank I you. should say, for you. Um, and for the rest of y'all, This is Rob Celtic signing off. Um, We will endure, we will grow, and we will overcome. God bless. This episode of Drinking and Dance at the End of the World was written and produced by me, Rob Celtic. Music for this episode was provided by the one and only Feathers. That's F-T-H-R-S. You can find more of his work on Spotify and Bandcamp under Feathers. If you like what you heard and want to support the show, stay tuned for our upcoming Patreon page, as well as links to how you can help support each of our guest dancers during this time of global upheaval. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.